Well, we've got a short video here. Well, I say short. It's not really short. This one's a little bit long. But last week we covered, uh, we covered the woman at the well, and that was part one. Tonight is part two. So we're going to get the, the rest of the picture tonight through uh, the, the chosen video. So watch this video, and then we'll get right into the mess. the last of Salome's bread last night. Master, we need to go into town for food. We can use the gold left for us at the fountain. Very well. There's a town about a mile west. Sicar. You all go. I'll wait here. Someone should stay with you. In case. I'm all right. Meet me at that well when you come back. Give me a drink. Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman. I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come at noon in the heat, as you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I, I'd still like a drink of water if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would. Except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob? 
Who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know, Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. <sighs> exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here. That it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity was excited to be married, but he wasn't a good man. He hurt you, and it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with, but you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm 
I'm here in the middle of the day. <laughs> I am rejected by others. I know. But not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon, just the heart. <laughs> you promised. I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> You forgot your arm. Um... You told me everything I ever did. <laughs> um, Rabbi, we got food. What would you like? Ah, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Who got you food? Wait a minute. You told her? Mm -hmm. And she can tell others? What food? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You, you told her who you are? Mm -hmm. So does that mean? It means we're going to stay here a couple of days. It's been a long time of sowing, but the fields are ripe for harvest. And so it's time. Let's go. Yes! <laughs> Well, I just love how season one ended. That's that's the end of season one, or the eighth episode, season one. But I mean, what a what an impactful video this is! What what an impact that the story of the woman at the well has on on us all, truly. Uh, but let's open up to John chapter four, and we're going to read. The, the kind of the last part of the story we read John 1 through we read John 4 1 through 15 last week but we're going to start where we left off with 15 and it says this right here the woman said to him sir give me this water that i may not thirst or come near here to draw jesus said to her go and call your husband and come here the woman answered and said i have no husband jesus said to her you have said, well, you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you are with now is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that, that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You Worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, 
when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called, who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us these things. He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, we have covered the first part of that, of the story of the woman at the well. And Jesus proclaims a new way to receive salvation has come. He talks about this living water that's available. And, and tonight we see a new way to worship will soon be established. And Jesus has, has offered her this living water, and she wants it. But look at her reply to Jesus when he asked her. She said, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come to draw. She doesn't reply to Jesus out of her spiritual needs. or out, She does it out of her physical desires. She, she wants the living water, but she doesn't want to have to come and draw water no more. She wants the physical things, but not the spiritual things. And Jesus is trying to get through to her. This is a spiritual matter that I'm trying to talk to you about. So that's what we need to see tonight. It's not the physical things that Jesus is trying to supply us, but it's the, it's the spiritual things. And she wants that water, but she wants it to fulfill those physical needs. And very often people avoid talking about spiritual matters because physical needs are much easier to satisfy and frequently provide the illusion of a deeper satisfaction. That's, that's what drives all sorts of compulsions. That's what drives all sorts of addiction is trying to feed physical needs and not spiritual needs. That's why it's so hard for addicts to quit doing what they're doing. It's because they've got physical needs, and they're trying to meet those needs. And it's the same thing. It's no different here. She was avoiding. You can see that she was avoiding the conversation. See, Jesus had already made it a spiritual conversation by telling her about this living water. Back in verse 10, if you'll look back in John chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who, it, who is who says to you, Give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have gave you the living water. Give me a drink. Give me a drink is what she's want. She's wanting a drink of this water, but she's not going to get what she thinks she's going to get. She goes back to the physical, and she says, Sir, you have nothing to draw with because the well is deep. She's, she's back on the physical again. And Jesus is trying to implement the spiritual. Where then do you get this living water? And she wants the water, but only so she won't have to come back to the well no more. But that's not what Jesus wants. Jesus wants us to take of that living water so we are continuously coming back to the well. In the next verse, Jesus does something completely different than what we'd really expect him to do. Instead of explaining more about this living water, Jesus says, go call your husband. Have him come here. Now, that's just kind of a, out of the blue. It just, bam, he just changed the subject all of a sudden. But Jesus trying to get back to the spiritual and away from the physical. One minute we're talking about water. The next minute we're talking about calling a husband. To which she replies, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, well, you have said well. You're right. I have no husband for you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. 
In that you speak truly. Of course, Jesus knew her situation. He knew all about her promiscuous life. And he went directly to her need. See, he looks past the physical and he looks at the spiritual. He sees the spiritual need in a person's life and he looks past all the physical ailments, all the physical diseases, all the physical problems that we have. And Jesus looks inside of your soul and he sees what you really need and that's him. He knows what you need. He he appealed to her deepest personal longing. Jesus uses his supernatural knowledge to take the conversation to a place it needed to be. He went from what you need to why you need it. He didn't condemn her. He didn't put her to shame. He didn't exploit her sinfulness. He merely stated the truth and let it stand on its own. And that's how he does us each and every day. He convicts us just like that. The man she was living with was not her husband. We've seen in the video that he actually goes beyond, and, and we see that he starts talking about uh, each husband at, that she had. Because we, we read in the Scripture, he told everything about me. He told, there's no telling what that conversation held. There, there, there could have been a lot more than just the husband deal going on that Jesus spoke to her about. He merely just stated the truth and he let it stand on its own. The man that she was living with was not her husband, but the sixth, but the sixth of the temporary men in a long line of temporary men. Despite the ugliness of our sin, it's always Jesus by way of the Holy Spirit that points them out. And brings us to conviction. And then once that we're convicted of our sins, we'll either continue to live in our sins apart from God, or we will come to Him with our sins. And we will repent and seek forgiveness and forgetfulness of those sins. Amen. We learned last Sunday night that it's, you have to forgive and forget because that's what God has done for us. He forgives and forgets our sins sins but our samaritan woman she again she changes the subject thinking that she can avoid this husband question altogether. sir i perceive that you're a prophet see she just changed the subject out of the blue we're talking about her husbands we're talking about your how many want to talk about your sins let's start talking about our sins tonight let's see how uncomfortable that gets because i believe we get pretty uncomfortable if we just started talking about her sins she's no different she decides she wants to change the subject well i can tell you're just some kind of prophet our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and the Jews say that in Jerusalem, in this place, is where we ought to worship. And we've seen in the video, she got kind of offensive about it too, didn't she? And I imagine that she probably did here with Jesus as well. Well, we can't even worship here because you Jews say we've got to go to the temple and worship. But this didn't change Jesus' approach, no. He kept on going straight to the heart of the matter, and he stayed focused. He used her distraction to get the conversation back on track, actually. Back to the real issue. Her problem, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit 
and in truth. Jesus really, he answers her questions in three ways, and I want to show you these three ways that he really answers her question. First is the, the physical location of worship is a secondary concern to God. The physical location of worship is a, a secondary concern to God. He said, you're, you're not going to worship here, you're not going to worship in Jerusalem, not on this mountain, but you're going to be able to worship right where you are. The temple was a benefit. It was a, it was a benefit that was given to man, so he could go to this place and he could worship God. A place of worship helps kind of keep, our, keep us from wandering our wandering minds from drifting off. It keeps us focused on what we're supposed to be doing. It's a it's a good place to come that is uh, chosen to be the place of worship. This church, this is a good place to come and come and worship. Not, not, I didn't say come and socialize. I didn't say come and have fun. I didn't say just to come. But it's a place to come and meet God. It's a place to come and keep our attention focused on God. This is what church is for. This is what this building's for. It's for us to focus on what we're supposed to be doing. That's worshiping God. Focusing on him. If you're coming to church for any other reason, then you're missing the point for church. And you're just a user and not a partaker in worship. You're just using this place to fulfill your own needs and not what you're supposed to be here for. We are here to worship God. But even the Jews, when they were exiled, even when they were moved thousands of miles away from their homeland, they continued to worship. There was no place to worship in those places. They didn't have no temple in Babylon. They chose to worship God because that's all they had. The realization of some of our, of our great guys, they realized, Daniel's one of them, he realized he must have a place to worship, and that was right where he was at. Not in a temple, but where he was at. We hear it all the time. You don't need to come to church to be a Christian. We hear this all the time. And to that I say, you don't need a parachute to jump out of an airplane. I'll let that soak in for just a second. But wouldn't you rather have a parachute when you jumped out of an airplane? It's the same thing with the church. Wouldn't you rather have a place that you can come and focus on your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? A place to come and give him glory and worship him. That's why, we need, that's why we need a building, but this is secondary. Worship occurs in our hearts. Worship occurs in our lives on a daily basis where we're at. And it needs to happen all the time, not just part of the time or some of the time. This place helps us forget about ourselves and for a little while and the little distractions of this world and puts our focus exactly where it needs to be, and that's on God. The second thing is the object of worship is primarily heaven. The object of worship is primarily heaven, but it has become secondary in Samaria. Here we find that they had built a temple in, in Samaria, but it was designed to be directly opposite of what the one that was constructed in Jerusalem to be. The ones that, that Ezra and Nehemiah, they reconstructed that temple, they reconstructed that place so they would have a place to come and gather and worship and read the law. That's what... The book, the whole book of Ezra and Nehemiah is about is that rebuilding of that temple. Well, the Samaritans built their own temple. But it was, a, it was established and built by men who didn't even know who the one true God was. They were worshiping idols in their temple. And Jesus didn't shy away from that uncomfortable truth. He just went right to the heart of the matter and he said, you worship what you do not know. 
You worship what you do not know. The Samaritans, where they were in, involved in idolatrous relationships with idols, but they too need a Savior. They too needed Jesus. They just didn't know it until he shows up with this Samaritan woman. The third thing about that, that Jesus answered the question, he said the quality of worship is the true measure of your devotion to God. The quality of your worship is the true measure of your devotion to God. You need to think about your worship and what quality of worship you have. Even as Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman, the Jewish religious leaders were polluting their temples with money changers. All kinds of things were going on in that place. Therefore, the temple in Jerusalem was no better or no worse than the one that was in Samaria. The Lord wants genuine, spirit-empowered worshipers. He wants your full, undivided worship to him and him alone. He wants you to worship in spirit. He wants you to worship in truth. And John's gospel clearly reveals that there is a new sacrifice, a new temple, a new birth, and a new water. The old covenant law has been fulfilled and set aside. There's a new man in town, and his name is Jesus. And he's come to the Samaritan people. The Samaritan woman uses one last line of defense. And it's one that's commonly used today, and that's a delay tactic. She's trying to delay. She tried to backpedal out of the conversation, claiming that all, all that matters of, of the theology are mute until the Messiah shows up. Until, until the Messiah comes, you don't have to tell me any of this stuff. She's trying to get out of the conversation altogether. Now, how is it that she knew of the Messiah? We don't know. We don't know. Maybe... And I think maybe somebody planted a seed there somewhere, sometime along the way. Maybe she knew of him and his coming somehow. Maybe the, uh, because the Samaritans, they really expected the Messiah to come like Moses, to come and be like Moses, more of a teacher and a prophet, and less than a ruler and a priest. But maybe she had read somewhere along the way, she read in Deuteronomy 18, and it speaks, it speaks of this right here, the Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me, from your midst, from the brethren. Him you shall hear according to all your desires of the Lord your God. And he bore in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me hear this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will rise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren. And will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. According to this line of reasoning, uh, no one can really say what is truth and what isn't until the great teacher comes and reveals all things. She says to Jesus, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Well, this played right into Jesus' hands because Jesus begins to tell her all things that she had ever done, all the wrong things that she had ever done. Through that little bit, she basically learns 
who the Messiah is. John's description of this encounter builds to this climax. The Lord successfully bypasses all of her defense in order to lay down the ultimate truth before her. He said, in effect, good. You don't have to wait any longer because here I am. I am the Messiah. I am right here just as promised. The scriptures say, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He was saying, I am he. I am the great I am. In flesh, in living color, standing and speaking to the Samaritan woman, right there in front of her, telling her everything, everything about her. But it was exactly what she needed to hear. It was right here at this time and this point that the woman put her faith in Jesus and was converted. So much so that she immediately wanted to go and share her newfound faith. She immediately took off to tell others about what had just happened. So she went and she started to tell them that she had found the Messiah, the Christ. Now I want you to think about this for just a minute. How much did she know? How much did she know of Jesus, of God, of the Bible, of, of biblical doctrine or theology? How much did she know? Any ideas? She didn't know anything. She knew, she knew two things. She knew the spiritual truth, and that is she just met Jesus, the Messiah. And somehow or another, she knew that she must go and tell. Knowing absolutely nothing at all, she knew the spiritual truth that she had to go and tell everybody that she had just met the Messiah. When you think about your testimony and you think about it's not good enough or it's not impactful enough, my testimony is not as good as anybody else's, I need you to think about this woman at the well who picked up and left to go tell everybody, not knowing anything other than the fact that she had just met the Messiah. And she goes and tells this whole village that she just met the Messiah. That is important for us to know because there is no reason why we shouldn't be going out and telling people. And some of y'all have sat underneath pastor after pastor who has taught you in Sunday school class after Sunday school class that has taught you about Jesus and has taught you who God is and you know all the old Bible stories but yet you don't go out and share just a simple message of who Jesus is. When you meet Jesus for real, you want to go and tell people who he is. So think about your testimony because it is good enough and it will have an impact. You know, Jesus went through the trouble to break down racial barriers and, and, and a battle that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans for forever how long? For, for since probably when Jacob and them come in and conquered Canaan land. But that day, they were all of one faith and one love after they met Jesus Christ. And it's all because a Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman didn't come to faith in Christ immediately. Jesus was patient. He worked he worked his magic with her. He worked his love with her. He took his time with her. And, and this is a lesson that we need to learn in our own personal work for the Lord. We need to take our time 
and share the gospel with people and teach them what the word of God says. Certainly she was uh, like uh, uh, was the least likely person to receive salvation just because she was Samaritan and just because Jesus was a Jew. You see, Jesus is the Messiah that the Jews had been anticipating for centuries. He, he was born of a Jewish family, and, and he, was, he was reared according to the Jewish laws in a Jewish town. And Jesus selected Jewish disciples, spoke in Jewish synagogues and Jewish temples, and traveled mostly in Jewish areas. His mission and fulfillment of the, Jew, of the Jewish prophets was to the Jews. He'd come for the Jews. But in Matthew 24, he actually says it himself. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. However, however, none of this means that Jesus' ministry was limited exclusively to the Jews because we've got this great story right here. Before he really actually went out and started his full-time ministry, John writes this little bit about a woman at a well. Jesus came to save everybody, even a little Samaritan woman whom she thought Jesus, a Jew, should have never spoken to me. Don't miss that in the story. But he did. And because of her faith, God used her to win almost her entire village to him a Samaritan woman who shouldn't have been speaking to a Jew a Samaritan woman who who didn't know anything about the Bible hardly didn't know anything about Jesus hardly but went out and told everybody who she had met so I know that there's we have this one question that's looming that hasn't been answered yet out of her story and it's why why did she leave her water pots behind? Why? She had the living water inside of her. She didn't need those water pots anymore. She rushed off into that city, and it's because she had that living water, and she would never thirst again. So tonight, as Pigeon comes, where do you stand? Do you stand full of the living water, or are you still thirsty? Do you stand full of the living water of Jesus Christ, or do you stand thirsty? He is still waiting, by the well. There's a gospel song that I love written by Greater Vision that says, He's still waiting by the well, and he's still holding out his head. Tonight, if you drink this living water, you'll never thirst again. He's been waiting by the well, knowing you be passing by. So tonight, in this moment, take advantage because he's not gone. He's still waiting by the well. So what's your decision for Christ tonight? Was every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If you don't have that living water inside of you, I'd love to show you through the scriptures how you can come and meet Jesus tonight and be full of that living water. But if you're full of that living water tonight, I want you to think about how you're using your testimony to bring others to Jesus. Maybe you need to come to these altars and ask him to use you for his kingdom. 
to use you in a mighty way, to give you that testimony to go and to share and to tell others who Jesus is. Because it's all about the gospel message. It's all about us getting out there and sharing Jesus with others. Just like this church is a place to come and worship God, this vessel is a vessel that needs to go out and share the gospel message. And that's for each and every one of us. Altars are open tonight. If you need salvation, come. If you need to come and pray, come.